Spyro Reignited Trilogy, Mass Effect Andromeda, and Dragon Meat. This is staying in. So lads, um, I discovered uh, a wonderful thing this morning when I was leaving for work. I had a very busy day at work, and just before I was leaving, uh, my partner directed my attention to the windowsill. And on said windowsill was my shoes. Yeah. And under, above my shoes was what I can describe as a swag bag full of sweets and chocolates. And I thought, that's what? a bit odd. Yeah. What's all this about? And yeah. apparently, on this day of recording, it's a Nicholas Day, once a year. And my partner's um, from Slovakia. Mm. And once a year to celebrate St. Nicholas Day, the tradition is the children would clean their shoes and leave them out and they'd wake up the next day, and if they've been good, there's sweets there for them. If they've been bad, there's potatoes. I mean, for you, that's a win-win. It yeah. is a win-win. Yeah, for me, it's edible. It's not yeah. like coal. It's edible. Win-win. Yeah. But yeah, for me, it was an absolute treasure trove of goodies and sweets. So just this whole lovely mix of things. It's a beautiful... Isn't that a lovely tradition? And I've said that's now, lovely. we're doing that every year. Yeah. Just before Christmas... And Easter shouldn't be the one that has to have a monopoly on the chocolate. Mm -hmm. Just before Christmas, before even Christmas Day, you get a little bit of a, a slight little Christmas Day treat. Yeah, that's um, nice. Yeah, and just coming off the back of Christmas, Christmas Day, um, yeah. as I have done, where I was equally spoiled, mm. was just wonderful, really. Mm. They've, got, they've got some good traditions, haven't they, the Europeans? They've got, got some really good ones. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, leaving sweets around on top of shoes... I think that's a good one. But isn't there like the German tradition, isn't there Krampus, which is like yeah. the anti-Santa or something, yeah. or the anti-Father Christmas? And he's like, and he's like, you've been bad, so I'm going to murder you or something. I think something it's Something along those lines. Yeah. <laughs> and then, what are the French, do the French do any really good? Well, they have like Liberty Day. They, they, do you know what? Europeans know how to celebrate. Do you know the UK has the, I'm going to go on a rant now. Do you know the UK has the least bank holidays, like public holidays out of like all, most European countries? Do you know that? What kind of holiday would be? What could we justify having then, like to commemorate a particular event? Well, you've got the you've got the national the national days that you that you don't get. So you got St George's Day, St yeah, David's Day, St Patrick's Day. Don't get that. I know that's what I'm saying. We don't get that, but we could we could have those. Yeah, we could, couldn't we? Oh well, I know as a tutor, Paddy's Day is a write off. It's teaching, yeah. it's just like a ghost town. <laughs> Students are not here at all. <laughs> it's Paddy's Day. It's like, oh, I've got a cold. No. It's like all bets are off. Yeah. You see, that would be good, wouldn't it? Like, we could celebrate... Well, I think those are pre-existing events that could easily be assigned a bank holiday. Yeah. Right, easily okay. pushed in. Or, you know, we could we could come up with our own. Like, for example, um, we could celebrate, for example... October 3rd. I mean, it's a good day, my birthday. We yeah. could Everybody could celebrate. Um, we could celebrate, for example, um, what's big and popular that the kids would get behind. We could have like a, we could have floss day where like all you have to go out into the streets and do the little floss dance move from Fortnite, and all the kids would get right behind that. Like it'd be like you know you'd have it on like I don't know when would you have it? When's ideal? I mean maybe in the winter months something like that because a bit of exercise get the body moving. Chris, I'm beginning to think that Pete's been doing some research into our numbers and has realised that we're missing like the lower age group demographics. As Pete's like, quick, we need to say something to get the youngsters in. I mean, Dan, I don't know about Dan, I don't know about you, but maybe it's because I'm a man now in his thirty, his early thirties. But when yeah. Dan, Pete said floss day, I honestly thought like dental. Oh floss. yeah, I thought he was talking about dental work. I mean, 
in all honesty, I'd be up for that as well. Yeah. Like, like celebrate good dental health day. I'll tell you what I found. I went to the dentist the other day, lads, and obviously you've got to grit your teeth and bear it. And I was kind of worried about my teeth. I thought, oh, my gosh, is there something wrong with them there? They don't look that good. I mean, they've never looked good, but, right. but this time they look quite bad. Um, I can't remember who it was who described their teeth as being like a vandalised graveyard. <laughs> um, oh. But um, and and it turns out it's tea. Yeah, it stains your teeth, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which is a massive sigh of relief. I thought, oh great. Um, um, I'll yeah. take that. <laughs> yeah, no, but, no, cleaned it absolutely fine. Sparkling, brand new. Also, makes that yeah. ding sound when you smile. I got told. I got told the other when I walked into the into the dentist. They said to me. Um, Go away! Oh, they, they, just think, shut, they the shutters went yeah. down. Yeah, they, they said because like, I went in with a bottle of water, with with a slice of lime in it, because like I was like, oh, a nice little bit of water with a little bit of slice of fruit in there, just to make it all nice and you know, just to spice it up a bit. And um, I wa- walked into the dentist, and the reception behind the uh, behind the desk was just like, oh no, you can't have that. I was like, sorry, sorry, what? It's like I'm, I'm, I'm hydrating. This is a big part of my life water uh, and uh, and they said oh no, no you can't have lime in the water it's just best to just have plain water I was like yeah I'm sure it is but like it's just oh no because you're constantly just drinking a little bit of acid and just constantly like erodes the teeth I was like sure fine but like the, the sales pitch of just drink plain water it's not that compelling it's not compelling I hate my dentists I absolutely like really like, well, I like going to them and the person who does the actual dentistry stuff is absolutely fine but I guess what I actually know what, I don't hate my, my dentist what I hate is going into a place where they're about to judge the way that you live your life <laughs> and like and I'm like every morning I have a cup of, tea, uh, cup of tea or a cup of coffee or something like that and I was drinking like you know drinking these fruit infused water all the time and like you know i used to smoke and all that sort of stuff and every time you go in you, mr willington oh mr willington no you can't have you can't have a slice of lime in your water so like i gave up smoking for you <laughs> do, pete do you ever get your your teeth deep cleaned when you yeah, get... i do yeah because i because i'd never had that done before until like a couple of months ago oh Oh. And I just, I just never had an. I hate going to dentists anyway, so I'm really bad, and I put it off. But eventually, I went there. I was like, you know what? I'm going to get them checked out, get it all sorted. You know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to get it deep clean, get it all sorted. And my wife was saying to me, definitely get them deep cleaned. You'll love it. You'll love how it feels, and for that, like, brilliant. Yeah, okay, yeah, I was actually, yeah. I was genuinely kind of looking forward to it. Yeah. And then they did it, and it was one of the most painful and horrible experiences of my life. And I was just, it was horrible. And then when I came out. It was cold weather and kind of like every time I breathed in, like all, all of my teeth were like <laughs> on fire, it felt like. And I'm kind of like, yeah. they've broken me. They've broken my teeth. They've ruined me. And I came home and she was like, oh, so how do you feel? I was like, this is horrible. That was a horrible experience. Why did you tell me to do that? Did you like that? And she was like, oh, I've never had it done. I was like, oh, you, you told me to get this done. And she was like, yeah, I just assumed you'd like it. <laughs> Dude. Mrs. Frost is in the wrong business. She should be a salesperson. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She talked me into that thinking it was going to be great. I know it was a horrible experience. That's mm. like when you get a family of meerkats that push their youngest onto the road to check it's safe first. <laughs> <laughs> you're lying there kind of like gripping like with all your shape, the, court, the arms of the chair that you're in, kind of your knuckles white. It's horrendous because they've got all the tools and stuff in there and all you want to do is close your mouth. All you and, want and to trying do. To, and, you, and trying to get your... And I'm sure we've put a lot of listeners off that we're talking about dentistry. <laughs> we, it's, a we, we've, we've, it's a weird we've start. It's a weird start. We've lost the kids. 
We've lost the people who don't like teeth. We've lost the people who are very militant about their lime slices in water. Um, yeah. But like, I, I always, it's difficult when they stick that little tiny vacuum in your mouth. And yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get my tongue to move around my mouth to avoid that and the drill or whatever it is. It's a nightmare. Absolutely nightmare. I, I, the last time, the last, right. We'll get off this in a sec. But the last time I went to uh, uh, the dentists, um, the, there was a, a new hygienist there. And uh, obviously it was rummaging around in my mouth doing whatever it was. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, I'd made the mistake of saying, oh, like, he was like, oh, hello, Mr. Willington. Blah, blah, blah. We talked a little bit casually about just, and I just, as a throwaway comment, said, oh, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to be going, and I'm, I have to do this tonight because tomorrow evening I'm going to go and play board games. Starts rummaging around. Blah, 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 blah. And he started asking me questions like, so what sort of board games do you play? And I'm like, well, uh, I saw, uh, I saw Do you think he was trying to make so, friends? I don't know. It's a great hook for a chat show, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like a YouTube chat. It's an entire YouTube channel. But rather than like hot, spicy, chili challenge, it's just like get some dental work and interview. Oh, that'd be amazing. I got really stressed out at the, at the start, at the end of last year and, and kind of the start of this year. I got really anxious about like, I had a big, um, what the um, what the guys over at Midlife Gamer called like um, like a pile of shame, right? And um, I, I love this idea of like, there's just a big pile of games and books and like graphic novels and all that sort of stuff that just like, just sat there and they're like, play me or watch me or whatever. And you don't. And um, I got really anxious about it. And I just thought, no, you know what? I'm I'm gonna buy I'm gonna treat myself to one game next year and then I'm just gonna kill the kill the kill the lot and I'm gonna play games and if I if I like on the certainly on the PC if I don't like them after like half an hour gone just like gone no no time for it same with books it was really hard with myself and I've managed to get through now you'll be very pleased I've now get got through every single one of my games uh, that I have no pile of shame now and in fact I bought a Switch to celebrate. <laughs> But I now have everything is gone, including, yeah. and the reason that I'm talking about like things wrapping up is because I've sort of mentioned, I realise I've sort of mentioned it about five or six podcasts, but never actually properly talked about it. I have now finished Mass Effect Andromeda, and I'm willing to talk about it. Okay. It sounds like I should be asking you to have a counsellor present or something, the way you just articulated that. Okay, how long, how long did it take, and was it worth it? 60 hours, mm. and just like okay so my experience with the mass effect universe yeah is limited to mass effect one then oh there's a okay. and i don't get me wrong i'm aware that mass effect one isn't the best one it's yeah so what is mass effect sorry i've never played these games okay. i know what they are i know of them and i know they're a big deal okay. and they've got a huge fan base so, but i also know they're quite polarizing uh, yeah, I would say so. So um, Mass Effect is a, a sci-fi game. Uh, the story being that human beings uh, find alien life uh, called the Turians. And after that, they realize that there's more alien life. And they, they join like the, the, the galactic community in uh, the Milky Way. And the series is about how these different races interact with one another what these races are mostly all about so humans are all about kind of exploration and 
diplomacy, uh, the Salarians, which is a, a kind of, um, they're more of a scientific, slightly espionage-based race. There's the Krogans, which are basically Klingons. Um, they're very warlike, um, although as the and and there's a bunch of other ones but as as the series goes on there's there's a bunch of games in the series now you realize that there's obviously a much more depth to all of them even even in the first one you realize that actually the krogans aren't aren't all war they aren't all conflict there's actually a deep history of them and and games two three andromeda i think even the mobile spin-offs kind of explore all the stuff a little bit the actual games themselves are made by bioware they are action role-playing games i suppose the first one is a bit more is a bit more RPG than the other ones. It's also, I think, probably the the the, the most difficult to get into. Two, I think, is the series high point because uh, it's a really nice mix of RPG and action. The third, I was one say it's more better. of like a third person action adventure, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's third person action adventure um, with a ton of RPG stuff in it. In that you are building up characters. Uh, the character in the first series is Shepard. In the new one is Ryder, uh, or the Pathfinder. And they're like your own custom characters, and uh, w- within a set parameter. So uh, you're always the pathfinder. You're always um, shepherd. Uh, uh, shepherd. Yeah. So you in this new one, and uh, oh, and uh, it's very much like sci-fi shooting that kind of thing. You do have sh- uh, a ship that you can fly around in space, but it's more about like selecting a planet to go to rather than I don't know, like it's not like a shmup or anything like that. Um, it's not like elite either um, yeah you don't actually fly the plane you just you, you don't fly the ship you just say i want to go there and then you go there and then you go there and you explore and it's very cool and andromeda is much more of a throwback i think to the original which is much more open and more about exploring different planets and you spend a lot more time in uh, a vehicle that is able to explore the, the alien landscape this one is set outside of the milky way so the, the the trilogy the first three are set in the milky way and it has a very definitive ending uh, three very definitive endings, uh, which I won't go to because they're still definitely worth playing. Andromeda is the idea is that basically at some point I think between the first and the second game they launch a ship which flies out to Andromeda, which is the nearest uh, next galaxy I think. Um, and the idea is that they spend a bunch of time in deep space, like three or four hundred years. They're all in um, stasis. They wake up and the I, the Andromeda Initiative was all about putting all of the races into this next universe uh, into this next galaxy and seeing how things get on and like establishing colonies there and all that sort of stuff so rather than just being in a spacefaring multi-planet inhabiting species they become multiple galaxy spanning species instead and uh, lo and behold old grudges come up that uh, and you know the the certain alien type they they lean into their alien traits again and they do lots of stuff like that the combat in this one is probably it's probably the best playing in in fact I, I would say dan like if you wanted to play any of them this is probably the one to play it is the best playing androm uh, uh, mass effect game the com the shooting is fantastic this is a it's a really good shooter um so you know there's a combat system uh, there's a lot of play there's a lot of vert- um, vertical movement so you also have a jump jet which allows you to jump above cover, and the addition of that is really interesting in cover-based shooting. 
There's lots of there's powers to use, not as really as many are a bit more fiddly than the previous games. Uh, but there's cool stuff in there that you and you can spec out your team in the way that you want. The multiplayer offering is not is pretty much dead, but from what I can see, it looked like it was quite a good idea. And the story, if you only play Andromeda, is really cool. It's really cool. Does it does it matter having if you haven't played the ones prior to it? No, you, it sounds it, like a massive world here. Yeah, do you not but, get do you get not get lost in it if you've no, not had because, the prior knowledge? No, because the cool thing is that you don't really need to know what happened in the Milky Way because you're in this new one. You're setting up, you know, you're setting up this new base, trying to populate this this area as part of the Andromeda Initiative. Trying to there's when a lot you of, say so there's also trying of, to populate it, <laughs> yeah, like basically every, you're trying to bring people out of stasis. Um, okay. And basically, you you get, it the, didn't have the, some really unfortunate mini games. No, unfortunately not. Uh, the opening, although they do tackle that, which is really interesting. On there's they tackle a lot of different subjects because one of the other things that Bioware is really good at is like moral choices, right? So you have to make ethical decisions. You have to basically question yourself as to how you would handle a situation, and then you make Ryder do that. And um, I was playing a Sarah Ryder. You can play as her brother or her and playing Sarah, and you make lots of ethical decisions uh, throughout all of the main games, really, um, about how you should tackle difficult questions. Like, in the previous games, one of them was like, if you rewrite an AI, are you technically killing them or changing who they are? And then you can make decisions based on that. There's lots of really interesting things, and, and the, the idea of uh, procreation does come up, and it is handled really interestingly. If you haven't played those first three games... Dan, this is probably the one to play. And the reason I say that is because it's basically it's basically like the Spark Notes version of the trilogy. Because it's basically the same story, as far as I can tell. Like, most of the same characters uh, are, are... Same kinds of characters are there. They're all different. They're all named something completely different. But there's a character called Rex in the, in the original trilogy. And it's replaced by uh, Nakamore Drak in, in this one. And they're kind of very similar characters. Uh, there are situations that come up over and over again to do with the Krogan and the Genophage, which is a, 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 a disease that the Krogan have. That The idea of that comes up, and uh, they even name some of the planets and the, some of the locations after the places from the Milky Way. Um, and it just feels like they're treading, retreading a lot of ground. Um, and some of the writing's really, really good. And that, that sells a lot of it. And then some of the writing is really, really dreadful. Like, really bad. Like, some of the incidental stuff is awful. You're sitting here saying, Dan, this is a game you should play. You can this play this one, one instead of play. the other ones. But Dan, you your teeth are going to feel great. Yeah. <laughs> you will not regret it. Yeah, you but won't you, regret it. You started this. this conversation by saying, I, I played this for 60 hours and it was just about worth it. If I'm playing a game for 60 hours, I want more than that. But that's because I've played, I've, I've played all the Mass Effect games. And I kind of, I kind of went into this thinking, oh wow, what are they going to do with this? What are they going to do with uh, these, these, these kinds of characters, these kinds of situations? And the answer is the same thing, um, which is okay. Um, it's let down a lot by technical issues. So I'm playing the latest patch, and there's mad stuff that happens. Like they forget to put loading screens up, and you see the world, three, the 3D physical world build because there isn't just a black screen with a, a loading ticker. Like, you just see the world start to populate. It's weird, like, technical problems that go wrong, like bugs. And at one point, like, the textures of the characters just didn't show up. They're just, it's just the grey model of them. 
you'll just the the game will just hang for like three or four seconds when you go into new areas. Like it's really, really sloppy for a triple A game, to the point of it feels like from like my experience of making games, it feels like it changed a lot during development, like a lot. But in terms of how it plays, Dan. Like this is way more in your. I would say it's either this game or Mass Effect Two that you that you would really really love. Like you, you can just drop Mass Effect One, but Mass Effect Two or this one, I think would you you really like the um the action of Andromeda because it's really thrilling to play. The, the some of the shootout sequences are absolutely phenomenal, and then I think you would actually see that Mass Effect Two was a better game um, overall. But the shooting in that is not nearly as well developed as. as so as Pete, would you have played this if it wasn't in your pile of shame? Was it just the case that you played it because it was there mm-hmm. and it was completing this set of Mass Effect? You're playing it just to complete a set? Or, yes. Or was there a genuine desire to play this game? I bought it because I, I love Mass Effect. Okay. So, like, to the point of I'm actually strongly considering buying the uh, spin-off novels. Yeah, I mean, I would have played it anyway, and I'm very interested in it. But, yeah, I mean, I wanted to play it this year because I wanted to get it out of the way because I just thought, you know what, this is going to be a big RPG that I need to get done um, so that I can de-stress. And, um, yeah, so... Thumbs up. So, so, for example, next year there is um, the new Super Mario Brothers game comes out on Switch, and like I'm just up for a 2D platformer, right? Like I'm up for revisiting my childhood in terms of like childhood platformers, right? Like that for me is, I just want to relax into it. Well, yeah, I mean, childhood platformers, I've got you covered there because lads, for Christmas, for yeah. Christmas, as it Christmas with a K. <laughs> I got the Spyro Reignited Trilogy. Oh, you've been excited uh, about this. Fun one, fact, you? did you know that only the first game is on the disc? So Spyro is uh, a beloved game in my family. It's a game that my brother and my sister... You so rarely uh, ever mention it, Chris. Quite a lot, I know. It's, it's 20 years old, so it came out in 98. And I remember the year it came out. It was very interesting that Spyro and Crash Bandicoot 3 warped. I think if you, if you press the coordination of buttons... On the Spyro title sequence, you got the demo to Crash Bandicoot Free Warped and vice Ooh. versa. I Ooh. think I think that's how it works. Insomniac and Naughty Dog did oh, something. Maybe something Sony did. That's cool. Um, and it's 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 not very sophisticated. It's not like Mass Effect. It's not sixty hours long. We're talking like <laughs> six. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, which I, I I've completed it already the first one, um, and I'll tell you why. It's basically a platformer where you are. And it's very sophisticated. A purple dragon with yellow yeah. horns, yeah. who essentially has to save uh, the Dragon Kingdom, which consists of five worlds, okay. from the villainous figure Nasty Nork, and that's with silent G's on both those words. <laughs> Nasty Gnork. Nasty Gnork. Nasty Gnork. And you essentially have to flame, charge, and glide your way through levels, uh, rescuing dragons that have been trapped in crystal and collecting all the gems, which are from his minions and in chests and things that are scattered throughout. And the reason I love the game is, A, because each of the worlds is very distinct. You've got the Dreamweaver's world, which is very fantastical, and it's above the clouds. You've got the um, Beastmaker's world, which is in, in the swamps or in a bayou of some sort. Uh, but So each world is very distinctive. But it's about how those levels themselves are designed around just that mechanic of charge, fly, or flame. And it's very clever. Like that, like some of the stuff it's doing in terms of level design, I just adore still to this day. Where there'll be some levels where you're dropped in the middle of the level, and you, the level carries on behind you and in front of you, and and there'll be one level, for example, where it's just a series of platforms, 
um, just trees and you are gliding between trees. Uh, it's oh. just beautiful. And trying to work out in your head the puzzle as to all the required charging ramps you have to hit in the right order to reach that far off distant tree. Mm. And I, I didn't do the Crash Bandicoot. Uh, what's the new Crash Bandicoot um, remastered called? I can't remember. Oh, uh, in, Insane Trilogy? Insane, that's it, right, Pete. So this basically, this game went through what's called a remastering. So it, it wasn't like um, they hadn't just increased the resolution of it. This is a company called Toys for Bob that took Insomniac Games' original and they rebuilt it from the ground up, from scratch. They had a blank canvas and they rebuilt it. That's cool. And it's incredible because it feels like when I was a kid playing it for the very first time, mm. everything feels the same way. And it was really weird. Uh, it, it feels a bit like um, I was in Chester a few weekends ago with my partner and we had some friends visiting us from Germany. And we are in a music shop because my, my partner's um, learning the piano at the moment, and I'm trying to play a little bit as well. And there was sheet music there, and I found a copy of a piano book that I had as a kid. Except when I think of the one I've got, it's all scuffed up, it's faded and worn away. This is like a brand new version of that, and they haven't changed the inside of it, the illustrations or anything. It's like I've gone back in a time machine and plucked <laughs> this out of the mid-'80s, early-'90s, nice. and it's exactly as it was when it was published. And it's like this. And it's quite bizarre at times because... Everything feels so familiar, but there are certain things that obviously haven't passed on into this remaster. So there are little things I knew in the game, like little glitches I could get away with, or little quirky things I could do that aren't here. So it's, it, it's that weird kind of sense of nostalgia where the past itself doesn't quite live up to the present. And that's not to render this game a disservice. It could never do that. But it does such a great job of it. It's one of the best remasters ever. Little things, like the guy who did the original mu music, uh, I think, um, I can't remember his name, but you have the option where you can actually choose to have the old music playing while you're playing the remastered version. Nice. And it sounds really silly, but just having that there, yeah. it's just like 20 years ago. And it's, it's just incredible. Like, I mean, it's like being in year eight at school when I was at that time, and I'm playing Spyro. Because it is, <laughs> nostalgia is a, a, it's a difficult line to walk. Because, like, to me, it, well, it's, it's playing with fire. Because that evocation of your childhood, if it's not how you remember it, then, then it fails in what it's trying to do. But how you remember it is not necessarily how it was. So, like, like I think I've said this before on the podcast, but, like, I went back, like, I think a year ago, maybe two years ago, and played Sensible Soccer, and shouldn't have because i remember yep. it being really fantastic and great fun and i played it recently and i was like oh this was this wasn't as good as i thought it was so like do these uh, do, how do these changes like actually like sit with you are they are they welcome changes do they do they do they ruin things do they no they, they really them? work it's it's a bit like uh the twin snakes version of the original mds um <laughs> right yeah you know what i mean because like yeah when I look back at, and I've seen lots of side-by-side -side comparisons, it's amazing how, and it's not that amazing, I suppose, but how sparse the levels were yeah. in those games. And we just accepted that as kids because we kind of just filled in the gaps ourselves. Whereas now there's an expectancy that we should be able to stare off into the distance and see, get a sense that this little world exists within this far greater world. So it, it does that really, really well. I love the fact now that the dragons themselves are much more distinctively fitting in with the world they represent. So in the first world, the artisan's world, all the people, that, the dragons that you free, they're just dressed like Renaissance figures. It's wonderful that like they're painters, they're musicians. And it's just really lovely. There's little touches that don't, 
don't get in the way of your memory of it. All they do is they they strengthen it. They they embellish it. They it's beautiful. It's really it's made with love. It really is made with love. And it and it's so wonderful when you go that you make that trip down memory lane to find that it is just as good as you remember it being. And if and crucially they've captured the feel of it like if I close my eyes and the right coordination of buttons I'm there I'm back in it 20 years ago mm. which is a really tricky thing to do when you're building a game from the ground up I think with those kind of games those kind of games where you're where you're kind of as you say kind of using nostalgia to go back I think a lot of the time it depends on the quality of that original game that some of them can mm. last so I was going to ask you a question but I think you've actually already answered it of if I look at like two good examples of where of games have been remastered, so I've played some of the uh, Crash Bandicoot Insane trilogy, and I I'm a huge fan of Crash Bandicoot. Um, I've played it over the years, and it's it's been great. When I when I played some of the the new version, it felt just like Crash Bandicoot, but it just kind of felt like I was playing the game that I played all those years ago. I didn't really feel like I got anything more from it. Whereas on the flip side, if you look at um, Oddworld New and Tasty. Ooh, now yeah. I love the Oddworld games as well so I played them when they first came out yeah. playing Oddworld New and Tasty which was a remaster of Abe's Odyssey I think Odyssey. was the first one yeah that was yeah remake of Abe's Odyssey yes it, it it had everything from that original game and all that stuff but it was such a great game and the New and Tasty added certain elements and it just I played it thinking yes this is reminding me of the old game but I'm feeling like I'm playing something brand new even though I wasn't even though I still knew, I still recognised the levels. I still recognised what I had to do. I still recognised certain puzzles and stuff because it, it was the old game. And I think by the sounds of it, with Spyro, it's falling a little more into the, the kind of the odd world camp as opposed to the Crash Bandicoot from what you're saying. I think that's kind of where it's sat for you. Yeah, it's a funny one really because I think for me the question is about replayability and I'm not going to be playing this game that often as I would say other ones. I, it, what's, what I like about it is the fact that it's something like around this time of year. It's I love this time of year in the sense that I can I can put on me jumpers. I've got some lovely comfy jumpers Ooh. I can just put on. Isn't that lovely? Yeah, but I can't nice. get wear during summer really. Horlicks well, actually, I live in England, so anything can happen. Mm. But it's that it's that feeling, and I can just jump straight back into it. It's like I never left twenty years ago. And to have a game which I can quickly do that with on a console, mm. it's almost like a mobile game. I just boot it up and I'm in. And it's it's quite scary how much of the cognitive map of those games still sticks with me. Every secret, I just know where it is. Every pattern, every nook and cranny. And there are, there are, I found it in the boss battles. There are little things, tactics I would have with the boss battles that I just can't get away with anymore. And that's where I realised, actually, this, that there's, a, there's enough here that feels distinctive and different to keep me on my toes, but not, not enough that it feels like a brand new game. And I, I quite like that feeling because it reminds me that uh, I can't get complacent. I'm not watching a film where my hands are going into autopilot. That actually, I, I've still got. There's still something left for me to think about when playing this game. I still, I can't relax too much, and I quite like that fact still. And that's not just with the ebb and flow of time that has allowed me to let little things slip my memory. Um, I like the fact that I still, I still get caught out in places, and it's still just as challenging as it was when I first played it 20 years ago. Mm. But uh, oh yeah, it's it, it was an absolute treat to get for my birthday. It really has been, and I've blitzed through it uh, very very quickly. And I'll probably because there's two other games on in, on the collection that I'm not too familiar with. I'm probably going to alternate playing those between other titles. I don't think I'll ever play three in a row. But yes, yeah, Spire Ignited Trilogy. Have wow. you have you been keeping up with the Fallout 76 stuff? 
Have you heard about no, this? I about the I bag? Do you know the bag and the atoms? Have you not? Oh, oh okay. No. This, this is this is brilliant. Like we're not. This okay. So Fallout seventy six is this. Uh, it's like um, uh, a multiplayer version of Fallout. It's based on Fallout 4's engine, as far as I can tell. Um, it's set in the world of Fallout, first-person, post-apocalyptic, RPG kind of a game. It's like Elder Scrolls, made by the same people. Uh, this one's online. There's a bunch of weird design decisions that they made about the game, blah, 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 all this sort of stuff. People are like, mm, this, isn't, this isn't very good. Um, well, they but... didn't particularly make it clear what the game was, did they? Yeah, it was, it's a bit like it's a bit of an odd one. Like it, it's like somebody described it as a sixty-dollar mod for Fallout Four, and I was like, ooh. So there's all that, and I haven't played the game, so I can't speak to the quality of that. But what I can speak to the quality of, uh, after reading a whole bunch of posts online, is the quality of the bag in the collector's edition that they did. So they did a, I think it was a two hundred dollar, you know, special fancy pants pre-order collector's edition, right? And all the imagery and stuff like that came with. The game came with the, you know, it came with the game and it came with some other bits and pieces, you, you know, standard stuff you would expect. And then a helmet of one of the Brotherhoods of Steel, which is just some characters, stuff like that. So quite a distinctive looking like plastic helmet, whatever it was. And then a carry case, like a bag, like a, 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 a rucksack, like a, like a, like a, uh, what's it called? A strap bag, you know. A tote bag. Uh, no, like, um, like, like, uh, uh postmen have. You know, like a satchel. Satchel? satchel? Yeah, satchel. Like a satchel. Um, and it looked great. Like, beautiful, like, really thick fabric. Uh, really, like, rugged, hard, uh, hard-wearing kind of stuff. Um, and uh, so... <laughs> so then they got delivered to people. And it turned out that that beautiful-looking bag that was in all of the promo, thing, promo stuff that people based their $200 purchase on, that was all smoke and mirrors. Because the actual bag that they got was made of nylon. And, uh, like, really horrible, thin, gross-looking nylon. And clearly, people have paid a lot of money for this, and they were not very happy about it. So there are pictures, there are images on and threads on Reddit which are hilarious. Because basically, there's people getting in touch with, uh, with Bethesda quite politely and saying... I just wondered what you were doing about this because this is not the bag that I ordered. This one's made out of nylon. Your one was made out of fabric. I was just wondering, like, are we going to get a replacement or, like, can I get my money back or something along those lines? And, like, the customer service team's responses was basically, like, we're aware of the bag. We're not going to do anything about it. It was literally, like, they said, we're not going to do anything about it. And, uh, obviously, that leaked out onto the internet and it blew up. So then, then Bethesda was like, "Oh God, oh God, okay," um, because it blew up and went out of control. They were like, "Oh, okay, fine, um, we'll deal with it. Um, we'll give you some, we'll give you some premium currency that the game uses, right?" So in 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 the game, you get like bottle caps or something like that, and it's basically this premium currency that that you can get. And they said, "We'll give you four hundred bottle caps," and the equivalent was basically the the cost of those bottle caps was four dollars. Right. So th- so instead of this, so this bag, they gave them four dollars worth of in-app stuff. And everyone was like, oh, that's not very good. Again, to the point of one of the top posts on Reddit was the point was the fact that there's a bag that looks very, very similar to the one that was in the photo that people got with the collector's edition. That is actually in the video game. But the number of atoms that they gave you could not cover the cost of the digital version of that bag. Right. So th- uh, absolute muck up. And now, as of, I think, yesterday, it turns out that 
they, they were like, okay, 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 we're going to deal with this. Um, uh, we're going to send out some better stuff, whatever it is. Um, just fill out this form on our website so that you can get, uh, so that we can help deal with it. And it turns out that the form that they put in was massively insecure, and that if you went onto their thing, you could basically see people putting in their email details. Like, like, like the, the worst, like the, the worst way they could have handled all of this. Uh, it, it, it's incredible. And it's just absolutely like shown up how, ah, oh, I have, I honestly, as somebody who works in the business, I have no idea how it got screwed up that badly. Like it's like somebody was, somebody said to me at work today, like they should have just taken a week off. Like they should have just like not done anything for a week. It would have been better than like how they've handled this thing. It's so poor. When I've been playing video games uh, from my pile of shame or my POS, I went I went outside um, and um, I went to London. I didn't tell you, Dan, because I didn't think you'd be that interested. T typical Pete. I know. He's, he's done this so many... How many times has he done this to you, Dan, where he's gone to London? I know London's a massive city, it's but quite still... Large. Yeah. yeah. It's quite a large city. But, I, I mean, I also work fairly near central London so okay. you know it, it would be no problem for me to come in and meet him so he wouldn't have to come all the way out to me or anything like that but nah yeah. you just don't worry no, about any of that nonsense just didn't, just didn't bother it Pete Pete what happened last time I came to Bristol for work hold on you drove through Bristol like recently and you didn't come see me, see me. but he let you know he let yeah, us all know no, there is a difference between driving past a sign that says Bristol this way and yeah relaxing and chilling out in Bristol. Last time I worked in Bristol, I, I tried to arrange to meet you for lunch and you couldn't be bothered to walk to meet me. Oh, blah, 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 blah. No, that's not true. We went for burgers. No, not the last time. The last time we tried to agree and I was like, let's go. All right, let's get some sandwiches and we'll go and eat at your house. I will, oh, yeah. I will walk that far and you were like, um, no, I'm too, I'm too yeah, busy. I can't. I Can't was really it. busy. Yeah, I was really busy. Anyway, um, so I, well, I sh do you know what? Next time I will invite you to Dragon Meat because yeah, that, I mean, that's what I did. I, I mean, I think I, I think I flew over your house as well, Pete. But I forgot to tell you. Did you not? Did you not? <laughs> when I went on holiday. Did you not like pop in? No. Uh, well, you should next time. Well, I'll invite both of you uh, to Dragon Meat next time in London. Dragon Meat. What's Dragon, Dragon Meat? Um, so uh, it is a. I guess you call it a convention. It's for pen and paper role playing game. Uh, oh wow. Interesting. Um, and it is run by a company called Modifius, who are, funnily enough, they are the people what do the intellectual property of one of the games that we just made. Uh, so you can take any of this with a pinch of salt if you like. Uh, but anyway, they also do a, basically, they're a company that makes pen and paper role playing games. Um, and I haven't played any of them. They're probably quite good. I don't know. But what they do do is they do put on uh, an event in London, a one day event called Dragon Meat. And it is where a bunch of nerds get together and play pen and paper role-playing games and buy them and see new ones and play test card games and and board games and stuff like that. And it's kind of like a small-scale UK games expo. So it's set over uh, two floors, one of which is like massive, like, you know, a bunch of rooms where you can, you know, do RPG stuff if you want or test new games. That was quite cool. Uh, or there's a bring and buy which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, and then there's the bottom floor, which is my favourite floor, which is where all the things are to purchase. And it's cool because there's like a mix of like pretty big scale RPG um, like companies. So Modifius is pretty big. Uh, there's another one called, I think they're called Cubicle 7, uh, who do the One Ring 
role-playing game. Yes, I have looked at that. Um, and also uh, a bunch of other cool stuff. Uh, but also they have like smaller scale games as well, uh, games and publishers as well. So, for example, the small, smaller scale stuff uh, was really, really exciting and interesting. Um, so I picked up, basically, I went there for quote unquote research purposes uh, because I, I'm kind of like really interested in, in pen and paper role playing games at the moment. Like, how do they work and why do people play them and like, what are the different mechanics? Is it all just Dungeons and Dragons? Which is actually interesting because when we first started playing, I mean, we've we've only played a couple of rpgs and most of them have been ones that we've more or less made up ourselves yeah but when we first started playing them you were kind of you were happy to kind of play along but yeah. you were kind of it wasn't this case but you were very much kind of going against your better wishes that you didn't really want to play these but we all were so you're like all right then i'll play along well yeah I, I, in many ways dan that's a kind of a metaphor for our friendship anyway isn't it really in regards to pete yeah yeah I mean, we all end up just pretty much having to do what pete wants to do because he gets moody if he doesn't i'm like i want to play 50 cent blood on the set. <laughs> um, so, um, I want to play worms. I want to play worms for no reason. So, yeah, I'm really interested in how they work. I, I guess the thing that I was really apprehensive with was I didn't want to, like, I, I don't feel like I'm very creative or I didn't feel like I was, I, I wasn't really in a headspace where I could feel like I was being creative or anything like that. And I didn't want to, like, make my own stories because I felt really uncomfortable doing that. And I'm actually kind of inspired by my trip to the point of I'm kind of toying around with the idea of like being silly and like maybe coming up with a small stupid little system of my own and like trying it on you guys at some point I would um, love that Pete honestly so, yeah I mean I, I might give it a go at some point but, I think um, that's great some of the because yeah, we've all done it, and and honestly, I'm so grateful for that you guys actually did push it through. Because like, because if I hadn't played, was it called Ten Candles? No, not Ten Candles. Ten Candles, yes. Uh, yeah, but that was Ten Candles. You weren't there for that. That was me and Chris. Dread was the first one we did. Yeah, if 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 I if I hadn't played Dread, if you hadn't like pushed me into playing Dread, I I, I don't think I would have pl- played Paranoia. And like, I played a bit of Delta Green before that, but I you know I didn't really. I liked it, but like. I, yeah, never really grabbed me or anything. So yeah, I'm really we, glad that you guys. We've got the Batman RPG to play, haven't we? We've got the Batman but RPG to play before we do anything. Um, yeah. So I picked up. So some of the smaller scale stuff. I picked up a game called Mind Jammer. Don't know what that's about. Um, I met the I met the woman who made it, uh, uh, Sarah Newton, and she basically I talked to her about like how she makes games and stuff like that. I, I'm sure I bored her to tears. Really, I was just asking her about like how why she turns up to these events and what she does, and it looks like a cool futuristic game. I'll look into that some more. Picked up a game called Nibiru. Quick, these are all quick start guides, by the way. Um, so they, they were like. I think it's important at this point to note that for Secret Santa this year, Pete has asked for an RPG game book, and then I shortly have. after asking for this, he's gone Boiled. ahead and bought a load yeah. of game RPG of, game books. Of, That's of, smart. Is that a pile of, of shame I can see of, there, Dan, on Pete's desk? Of modern, modern uh, RPGs, and these are also only the starters. So, so they're, they're they're the things to basically like get you into the world and get you playing the mechanics really quickly and then like you buy the core game itself so i'm gonna investigate those and i'll, I'll report back my findings and there was also a bring and buy and oh i God. found Did that smile on your face i found so this was the dangerous one but this is actually not for me this is actually a gift for somebody 
because I thought it was the dumbest thing <laughs> ever. I thought this was great. I was like, what kind of, you know, you know me, I like sci-fi, I like Mass Effect, right? I like sci-fi, so what kind of, yeah, sci-fi, role-playing, what kind of, what kind of series would be perfect for that? You'd think maybe Star Trek or something like that. Maybe Star Wars, the classic Star Wars RPG. I know uh, Modifius have got a Star Trek uh, role-playing game. You'd think something along those lines. But you know what? You know what the fine people of Seven Deep, or sorry, Deep Seven thought? You know what they thought Deep, Deep Seven thought would be the, the best IP, sci-fi IP, to make an RPG out of? They thought, let's make a Red Dwarf role-playing <laughs> <laughs> uh, role game. I would actually, joking aside, like to play that. This looks dumb as hell. And the best thing about it is, my understanding is, uh, on this, you don't get to play as Lister or any of the characters. What? Right. You just get to play in the rich universe of <laughs> Red Dwarf, which I love. I mean, let's... Yeah, know. it's a it's a fantastic series. I fantastic love it. British science fiction series sitcom. Comedy. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Really fun, really great, really enjoyable. But would I... There's characters here like... Do you want to go up against Captain Hollister? Do you want to go... No, up... not really. No, do you want to go... He, I mean, he's, he, he dies after the first episode. They only bring him back in series eight. Do, do, uh, what about all these characters? You know, these... Um... These uh, these really famous uh, characters and races like the uh, Kinita Wowie. You remember that? Yes. Oh, they're really funny. Yeah. <laughs> so Pete wasn't expecting you to know that. I could see from his face. <laughs> yeah, Lister gets engaged to one of them. They have this very bizarre language. Dan, have you seen Red Dwarf? I remember. Actually, I remember that episode where he gets engaged no. to a to an uh, alien. Dan, Dan, which of the three of us do you think there is an answer? There is a right answer. Would make the perfect rimmer. Well, I mean that that goes without saying. It's Master Willington. <laughs> can you just imagine the little H on his forehead? You can also play as Dwayne, Dwib Dwayne Dibley. Dwayne Dibley, yep, the cat's alter ego. You can play as... Or you, well, I, I, actually, I don't even know if you can. I, I think you basically have just... I think they're just characters that maybe you can't... I don't think you can actually play as them. Anyway, that's the joy so, of an RPG, Pete. Do whatever you want. You, you, you do whatever you want. Absolutely. It's like when it's like when Sam fantasised about the idea of playing Alfred in the Batman RPG as a solo campaign. Yeah, I and I love that you <laughs> used the phrase "fantasise" there. Uh, uh, so, um, so I'm I'm very excited. I'm going to give that as a, a as a gift to somebody. And Pete, I'm I'm acutely aware. Yeah. That of us, my birthday is next. Yes. I do not want the Red Dwarf playing game for my birthday. I'm putting that out well, there now well, in a recording go on. on the internet. And yeah. if we know one thing, if it's on the internet, yeah, it's 100% true. Yeah, yeah. Go on. You just don't want that. You don't, I, don't, you I, don't, want I don't want the role playing game from Red Dwarf. For, from Red Dwarf. You don't want It's your day, Dan. It's your day. Well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll look into um, whether or not there's a. I don't know. What other role playing game would you want? I mean, I don't need a role playing game. I have no one to play role playing games with. If you could, if you could have any IP that you've got, any any brand, any like story, any world, any universe, and you were to and you were to have a role playing game set in it, Dan, which one would you play in? Well, there is there is an obvious answer. Go on. And it's probably an obvious answer that Chris would probably share with me. Mm. And the obvious answer is the the, the world of Middle Earth. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There is, and outside of the main story, there is such a rich, rich history that could be utilised in many different ways. Okay, I'd like to uh, amend my earlier statement. Okay, Pete, Pete, I'm aware that my birthday is coming up next. Okay, okay, I do not want I'm aware a role-playing game. Pete's nodding at you with a massive grin on his face. Uh, so you, 
but you, you you could think about it. Think about it. You could play big. You could be Pete. 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 They often make that mistake in the in the books. I mean, I think I mean I'm not going to lie. The eye of a salamander is quite unnerving, but yeah. not as much as the eye of Sauron. Uh, of a Sauron. It's another podcast, and we've also had another question. That's how many weeks? In a, uh, how many episodes in a row now? I've lost track. There have been so like, many. It's been really good. Uh, so we've had a question from Neil Bailey via Facebook. You can find us on at Staying in Pod on Twitter and Facebook. You can also email us, stayinginpod at gmail.com. They sent a very nice message and they said, an idea for next year's challenge, uh, maybe stick with exercise, but go for a points score. So I guess kind of like an achievement system sort of thing. Um, f- like five points for 30 minutes in the gym or 5K, 10 points uh, for 60 minutes in the gym or 10K. So like a, a point system that scales. Uh, then each of you gets a joker, re- joker week. <laughs> the rest choose where for that week you get double points. And you, and you have to like aim <laughs> Sam, for Sam Zumba. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's a good idea. We're gonna keep it. We're gonna put it into rotation as an idea. I think I quite like this idea as like um having like I I I am compelled by things like achievement systems in video games. So having a point system that I can go for is I mean it's it's compelling. I mean we did give you kind of an achievement target system this year right. yeah. and you still scoffed in our faces it. still working towards yeah scoffed in your face because I'm not easy still it's, work, it's, still it's the hair and the tortoise isn't it Pete exactly I'm still working my way towards it don't you worry I'll get there well it's um, not the hair and the tortoise when the hair has already won <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's fine um, so um, I do but yeah I yeah incentives goals those things get me Chris you say that you've had you've had secret meetings with Dan and Sam well, I, I, I basically, and this actually picks up on a subject that Dan actually mentioned beforehand. I ran an idea past Dan because I, based on the idea, I thought Dan would be the most receptive yeah. because it's something we have shared an interest in. It feels in. like subterfuge, but go on. And Dan, Dan, Dan said, okay, it's, it's, it's at least twice the challenge we've had this year. A bit ambitious, Chris. I ran it past Sam. And Sam, Sam was also quite keen. And I think it, the only thing I was worried about, Pete, and and it's whether it would sit with you, not because you couldn't do it, but because I don't think it would have the same significance with you because it no. is a geeky. It's, uh, it's like it's like peak geek. Yeah, it's properly geeky. And it's basically to cover the distance that Frodo and Sam walked from Hobbiton to Mount Doom, <laughs> which if, if you don't know, because somebody very kindly worked it out, right. um, and I'd like to give them credit, actually. The person in question is somebody called Matt's a wizard. And this is on Imager. I found this. And the full distance is 1,350 miles, which is about 440 hours of walking. But he's broken it down into different sections. So it's the equivalent of walking from London to Serbia. Oh, well. Or for our American listeners, it's the equivalent of walking from L.A. to Austin in Texas. So, but he's broken it down into the different sections of the book. And I quite like the idea of of being able to know where I am on that geography. A bit like what Dan was doing when he was talking about how you're still in Bletchley, Pete. Mm, Yeah. And for example, there's something about 
being able to equate what I'm doing with a, the, an actual, I say an actual, but with a geography, a, a map of sort, yeah. that really, that's what drives me, being able to see myself, like looking on a video game, where am I on the map, let's say, on an open world game. And I thought that'd be quite a lovely thing. It'd be it's sufficiently geeky. I mean, I, I won't be dressed as a hobbit while running uh, because <laughs> that's just not practical nice going barefoot. Are you, are you saying that this would be... So my, my question would be, would this count like everyday walking as well? Or would this just be when you are actively exercising at this point and that is when the... the, the you see, I like it's a good question. Because of the distance that's covered, I think it would count all types of movements, right. all kinds of walking or running. Right. I think that would be the best way. See, the only yeah. problem with it, and this is a problem we've had with the one the challenge this year is it does emphasize the cardiovascular mm. as anything as opposed to anything that's weight training uh, yeah. I, I don't know I mean they, they ate a lot of food so it was heavy lifting of food and things I would also and argue they rode that a bit of it. catching everyday walking would be difficult just because just trying to record that yeah I mean you could get one of those um... like a pedometer yeah but I mean I, I mean Dan the best thing to do is just if you know roughly the distance I know you walk to your train station don't you yeah so I mean you can work it out and if you've got regular walks then yeah you can absolutely do do it regularly yeah but not like you know if I'm working from home and I'm walking from like the, my office to the kitchen I'm not mm. going to include that okay well okay well, uh, that is a very hobbity thing I was going to say yeah as the distance is about three times the distance, the suggestion wasn't that we would do all of this in a year. Because oh, right. That no, would we've got, be we've a bit got crazy. to make it at least a trilogy, Pete. Oh, God. Oh, just overextended and overrated. Um, yeah, so um, I, I would say then that uh, th- that's a cool idea, I guess, maybe. But let's, like, let's keep thinking because, like, that's... that's I love the fact that Peter. Let's keep thinking. He's not going to do any of these ideas. That's, that's, that's a that's a big distance, isn't it? That's such a distance. Let's 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 circle the wagons and come back to it later. Um, let's put a pin in that. Let's put a pin in it. Um, but uh, anyway, so Neil Bailey also has a question for us. Oh, fantastic! Ooh. Thank you, Neil. Uh, so uh, so uh, yes, thank you, Neil. We're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go with uh, what I think is the best question in the list, uh, uh, which is, "What's your favourite Christmas film, and why?" and uh, and this is and this is my part of this now. Uh, I'm reading into this. I don't want us to argue over what the definition of a Christmas film is. I think basically, as long as it's got Christmas in it to some extent, or it feels like a film you would watch at Christmas, I think that's enough. Because I'm fine with that. Uh, and my answer to that one is um, Home Alone. Okay, I thought you were going to say something like The Great Escape because that used to be on every Christmas. Yeah, that would be valid. I would accept it. Uh, but no, for me, it's Home Alone. Home Alone. Yeah. John Williams' score as well. It is such a beautiful Christmassy, family, cuddly, cosy yeah, soundtrack. I don't know anything like that, but basically, like, uh, I just like the idea. I, I think I like the idea of like being that young again and being alone in a house with a nez and setting traps and setting traps. Family setting traps for weirdos. Yeah, and actually, 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 when you think about that film, now I'm thinking about it. That kid is that kid is messed up. Like, have you seen that YouTube clip online where a physician looks at the footage of what? those the two crooks go through yeah and and actually explains what physical toll it would take on their body yeah it's extraordinary yeah when you when you watch it as a probably as an adult and you actually see the actual damage like the guy has like a hot iron dropped on his face (laughs) (laughs) i mean come on i mean even though even like even like the micro machines you would have like broken your back the way they landed yeah yeah and like he pushed upturned nails on Make someone walk barefoot over upturned nails. He's a really quite violent child, and I, yeah. I think I, I think I like that. Basically, um, so what about in the second one where he just lobs bricks at their heads? 
<laughs> I love I love the idea that the scriptwriter was just like ah he loves a brick at his head. So what um uh what would you choose Dan? Well it's the, it's it's there is only one right answer. Okay yeah well it's the Muppet Christmas Carol. Dan you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a strong it's a strong choice. It's not just a strong choice it's the only choice. Mm. Muppet Christmas Carol is the greatest Christmas film of all time. I've watched it every year since I think 1994 when it came out. Yeah, I have it on DVD. But it's funny that, Dan, Dan, you'll know this, but the DVD doesn't include one of the songs that's on the original VHS version of the film. Yeah, but it's a song that everybody skips. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nobody lingers lingers around for a ballad by his nephews. You hear it in the end credits, but like, yeah, no, it's a great film because the Christmas Christmas Carol is my favourite Christmas story. Uh, And obviously that, that idea of redemption, this... Grinch-like crotchety figure redeeming himself and learning the meaning of Christmas, whatever that is for you, it's just it just never gets old for me. And I I, I watch the Christmas Carol in all its forms, even like the Patrick Stewart version uh, with Richard E. Grant as Bob Cratchit, Scrooge, Bill Murray. It's a Wonderful Life is a bit of a story of redemption, isn't it? Really, uh, uh, Scrooge, uh, Scrooge, so Bill Murray is probably I'd give an honourable mention to because I watch that every year as well. Yeah, it's a great film, but like. And there's also the Black Adder Christmas Carol, which subverts it. Yeah. Where he starts off as a really nice person and becomes an asshole overnight <laughs> when he learns out, learns about how bad his ancestors were. Uh, but it's, it's, it's just a lovely film. And I know it's a bit like you and Hamilton, Dan. Um, I just know the songs inside out. Yeah. I think the, be- the best thing about it as well is, as with Scrooge, you have Michael Caine, a serious actor, playing it dead straight yeah. when surrounded yeah. by Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy and oh. he just plays it dead straight and it's just perfect <laughs> that was staying in with Dan Frost Peter Willington and myself Chris Darby if you enjoyed this episode make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts if you'd like to leave a review too we'd be really chuffed to bits Merry Christmas <laughs>